the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press player, press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today, we'll be discussing the impact of playoff performance on draft value and wrapping up the second baseman. And first, we'll start off with the most interesting player alive, and we're going to change things up a little bit because all of the major league players are guys that either we've talked about or we don't really want to talk about. So we're going to go with the number one minor league search for a player, and that is Oscar Tavares, who may or may not come out of next spring training with a starting job in the St. Louis outfield. What do you think the Cardinals are going to do? Carlos Beltran is a free agent, so if he goes, that will obviously increase the chances that Tavares opens the season as a starter. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the postseason, I think, um, did – uh, in, in the eyes of some, uh, point, point out a lot of the flaws for the Cardinals um, in terms of, uh, I think, probably center field, shortstop, maybe third base. Um, and it's going to be hard for them because they're not a team that spends a lot of money in free agency. It's going to be hard for them to solve all of those uh, with free agency. I mean, you could do, you know, Ellsbury, Drew, uh, and I don't know what else, but... Um, you know, I think that they're more likely, you know, that their history has shown that they're more likely to solve it from the inside. Um, and, you know, John Jay, I think that, uh, you know, people are kind of, uh, people agree with the defensive uh, metrics in, in his case and think he's not a great center fielder. Um, he does get on base, but he doesn't have much power, doesn't have a ton of speed, um, and he's got a bit of a platoon split issue. So um, I think that um, the door is open a little bit. Unfortunately, Tavares is also a left fielder, and the Cardinals seem to take forever with their prospects. So um, I, I think I would uh, say that they'll send him down to begin the year, if only to keep him for an extra year with the Super 2, and also because he only got uh, 188 plate appearances uh, this year due to injury. So. I think they'll say, even if he has a good spring, they'll say, oh, that's nice. Uh, we want you to you know, get a couple more reps in, in a AAA or whatever, and then, and then we'll bring you up. Yeah, and we keep talking about the fact that the other option the Cardinals have is to play Matt Adams as the starting first baseman, move Alan Craig to right field. Obviously, defense isn't exactly going to be a priority for them if that's the case, especially because Matt Carpenter is still at second base, and he wasn't exactly a second baseman. So defense is not exactly going to be the team's forte. If that happens. And, you know, just looking at the age uh, of most of the players on this team, um, you know, I think they're better set for the future. I think they're a younger team than Boston and, and they're younger across the board. And there's not as many players that you can point to and say these guys will re- regress. And you can actually point to uh, some players and say they'll progress. So, um you know, I think they won a lot of games this year, and they have a lot of great uh, players on that team, and, and they could just put Adams at first, put Craig in the outfield, bring up Tavares halfway through the season, 
They could even leave Cosmo at short, and they could do the Colton uh, Wong, David Freese, Matt Carpenter dance for another year and still be in the conversation at the end of the season. So um, I think they'll just do what it, what seems pertinent on the free agent market. If Drew is three for 30, maybe they'll do that. But if Drew gets into a bidding war with the Mets or whatever and becomes like three for 45 or you know more than that, then uh, I think they'll just, you know, be content to spend the money elsewhere. So I think they'll look for a bargain on the market that fits their needs a little bit. And, um, you know, the other big rumor, of course, is that they trade some of their pitching because they have a lot of pitching. Um, and uh, Troy Tulowitzki is uh, the name that keeps coming up. But, um, you know, do, do they do like a Carlos Martinez uh, plus a couple other guys for, for Troy Tulowitzki trade? Trying to sell high on Joe Kelly if anybody bites. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be. See, I think the Martinez would be the star. So you could do uh, Carlos Martinez, Joe Kelly, and then you'd have to throw in somebody. And and everybody, you know, sort of looks at Tavares. But if they throw in Tavares, all those three, I feel that would be a lot. That would be a lot because Tortulitsky is not a cost-controlled young guy. He's a hundred and twenty million dollar contract guy. So um, unless the Rockies are going to absorb some of that. But at the other end, I would say that's a that's a decent contract. It's not a terrible contract. I mean, he's uh, you know with the value of a win going up to six, seven, you know, million dollars, uh, you know, for him to be a three million dollar guy a year is not that hard. I mean, three win guy a year is not that hard. So um, I don't think the contract's that terrible. But he is, he isn't necessarily like a, a young guy that's that has a lot of surplus value. So. Um, I think I don't think the Cardinals would give up Tavares and Martinez, but would they give up Martinez, Kelly, and then a, another minor leaguer? Maybe. Perhaps. It's just unfortunate that Tavares was hobbled by that ankle injury that limited to less than 200 plate appearances this year because he's shown some really intriguing skills from a fantasy perspective. Not as much from a real baseball. His walk rates have declined since single A, and that's – worrisome from a real baseball perspective, but not as much from a fantasy perspective. But look at that contact rate. When you combine such a great strikeout rate with above-average power and some speed, I mean, this is a potential 325-10 guy. Yeah, I mean, that contact rate is really nice. And I think from a real-life standpoint, that's that's uh, that's a nice thing to have. Contact plus power is, is, uh, is sort of rare in the game these days. So... Um, if you can, you know, if you can really play center field, um, uh, that's a need for them. So I do think he'll get some playing time this year. In the chat today, I got the question, who's going to get more time in the outfield this year, Carlos Beltran or, or Oscar Tavares, uh, assuming that Beltran might end up at, uh, signing with an AL team, but I, I think it's still probably Beltran. Yeah, I would say so because I still feel like Tavares needs some more time at AAA because under 200 plate appearances, it... I mean, an OPS 803, 353 Woba, it's not exactly like he set the the miners on fire at that level. So I think he needs more time and also to prove that his ankle is completely healthy before they feel comfortable installing him in the starting lineup. Because again, obviously they're going to continue to be playoff contenders, so they don't want to really take that risk just yet. Yeah, it's true. Actually, his uh, his offense was only 9% better than the league average uh, at AAA. So it is a combination of factors, the injury and... You know, though, though it looks kind of nice, 300 average, you know, five stolen bases, five homers. You know, if you look closer and you look at the league, it was only slightly better than the league average. So, yeah, I do think that they will want him to 
dominate at that level like he dominated most of the other levels. I mean, for example, his WRC plus in double A was 159. So he's 59% better than the league. So, All right. So before the playoffs, we talked about potential names of guys that might see uh, an increase or a decline in value next season based on their postseason performance. Kind of some under the radar names that depending on how they perform, it, it might inflate their value. And we will get to that. But what I think is a more important question is, has the value of a beard that a man receives from wearing one increased because of the Red Sox? Uh, certainly in Boston. I saw one of my friends, uh, uh, one of my my uh, female friends from Boston posted last night, I love beards. So, uh, is she wearing one of those fake beards? Uh, I don't think fake beards counts. <laughs> Okay, now another important question. It's like people, you know, women love hair on top of your head. They do not love toupees, I don't think. Yeah, well, you know, you're lucky that you have a nice top. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of which, when are you going to grow a beard? I can't. I can't. Uh, (laughs) You've got the little little peach fuzz. My face is 15 still. (laughs) All right, so who are some names of players that in the World Series and the playoffs – really may have affected their value next year, rightfully or wrongfully. I usually say wrongfully because it's such a small sample size. It shouldn't really affect your opinion, but undoubtedly it's going to affect people's opinion of of these players. Yeah, I think the obvious one is David Ortiz. I mean, he just, uh, he, he walloped the, uh, the, the playoffs. And I feel like it's really tempting to look at his stats and say, you know, there's no reason to uh, to question him. But, you know, I cannot look away from the fact that he'll be 30, uh, 37 going into no, 38 going into the season next year. And that's old. Yeah, that's, it's, it's amazing old. because there's like no signs whatsoever of decline in David Ortiz to make you worry. But the age, I mean, he can't defy age effects forever. It's, the collapse is going to come, and you don't want to be the one that owns him when it happens. Yeah, and you know what's funny is the collapse already came. I mean, in 2009, he was, uh, he was 34, which is, you know, what used to be sort of the end of, of careers. And in, in, in 2008, 2009, he's, he batted a combined like 240, averaged like 22 homers a year. And uh, his strikeout rate was at the worst that it's ever been. And, you know, it looked like the decline was happening. And then he kind of busted out of it, you know, started making contact again. Um, and the power went back up. And I don't know. I, it's a very weird aging curve. Um, and uh, I would say that I don't trust him so much. It also depends on your league if he even qualifies at first base anymore because – I don't know about you, but I hate clogging up my utility spot early in a draft. I mean, David Ortiz, just based strictly on his stats, let's say he's a, a fifth-round pick. Do you really want to slot your utility and fill that spot already in the fifth round? I don't. I want to be flexible and allow myself to draft a guy for my utility later on when uh, there are multiple positions that I have to choose from and multiple players. I'm about forced to look at one specific position. Yeah, so six games at first. Uh, there, there are plenty of leagues that do five-game uh, requirements, but uh, I think uh, he'll probably be a, a DH in most leagues. 
How about Michael Waka, who started off in the playoffs so good, and I was excited. I'm like, this is great. Michael Waka is going to be super overvalued next year. And then he goes and has a clunker yesterday to seal the deal for the Red Sox, six runs and three and two-thirds. How much air do you think that deflates from his balloon? I just made that up. I'm very proud of myself. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, like, do, do you think that that's going to weigh in on fantasy owners' minds that, oh, maybe he isn't that great because look what he did the last game, or they're going to remember all the good performances and he still is going to be a bit overvalued? Well, there was, you know, there was one thing about the way that it happened that made me a little bit worried was that, you know, when we look at, at Waka, we see the fastball changeup, um, kind of like a right-handed Cole Hamels. Um, but one of the things that Cole Hamels did to really burst out um, was uh, develop the cutter. And, and he needed a cutting thing to go against the changing thing. And it's just, it's just uh, pitching one-on-one. You need, your, you need a, a fast pitch in either direction that breaks in either direction. So that's the four-seam, two-seam. And then you need a, a slow pitch that breaks in either direction, and that's you know cutter change or whatever you do. Well, it seems so, he does. He throws it nearly three percent of the time. <laughs> well, yeah, he has a cutter and he has a, a curveball. Just never throws it. And he threw. The, actually, he was forced to throw the curveball in that game last night because. So what I was saying was that I feel like the the Sox kind of showed a blueprint, which is uh, jump on the fastball early. And yes, it's 94, 95, 96. That's great. But if you're looking fastball and he throws the fastball early, then you know these major leaguers can hit that velocity. Um, and if you get, if you, he tries to get ahead with the fastball and then put you away at the change. If you if you jump on that fastball, then you never see the changeup. Um, and then the alternate thing that you can do um, is just take everything to right, you know, take everything to the opposite field, you know. Be a little bit late on the fastball, fine. Take it the other way, you know, and take the change up the other way because it's it's sinking away from you anyway. So I think that there's um, there are things that people can do unless he sort of uh, in the, they called the curveball a change a show me pitch last night. Uh, McCarver did, and I think it's a little bit better than that, but it needs to it needs to improve some. So um, I would say that there are, that, that there's a re- the reason, there's a reason Boston beat him last night. And that reason is the reason we should be a little bit worried about him. And so therefore maybe it's fitting that it ended this way and maybe he'll actually be correctly valued. But um, you know, just because he finished poorly, not because he has these flaws. So <laughs> if he, if he gets drafted uh, like next to Garrett Cole or something, then he's too far up. You know, the steamer projections for Waka are almost identical to Shelby Miller. And given the way Miller has finished the season, obviously he was not in the playoff rotation Waka was. It'll be interesting to see how those two players are valued against each other next year. Because I think that they should be similar, and I think Steamer is right to kind of project them similarly next season. Yeah, I'll just take the cheaper of the two. You know, I I like them both. Uh, They pitch in a great park. They both have great velocity. They both have uh, a, you know, a, a breaking pitch they for, throw first. And uh, actually, Miller throws his changeup more than, um, more than uh, uh, Waka throws his curve. So um, I, like, I like them both. I, like, I would say that I, I kind of like Miller more in some ways, um, or I did at least going into the season. And uh, as much as I liked Waka going into the season, you know, I'll still take him – if, if they were the same price, I would take Miller, and I doubt they'll be the same price, so I'll take Miller. 
Yeah. Oh, one last guy to mention, you know, we talked about recently is John Lester. One run in 15 and a third innings, 15 strikeouts, only one walk. I think when you combine that performance with his strong second half, I think his value is going to be increased next year and higher than you might think based on his full season stats. Yeah, and I struggle a little bit with this because I, I took a look at his uh, mechanics, and he he has made some changes. So uh, you know there were some sort of mechanical reasons for um, doing better in the second half. But at the same time, um, you know he's going to be thirty next year. Um, there's been a decline, an obvious decline in his stats, and then you add on the extra innings this year, and the extra innings for much of uh, his Red Sox career. And um, I just think that, you know, betting for much better than a, a 380 ERA and a 1-3 whip is uh, probably folly. Yeah. All right, let's get back to wrapping up the second baseman. And we'll start out in Seattle, where Dustin Ackley, who opened the season as a second baseman, is suddenly an outfielder. And Nick Franklin took over at second base. And showed, I think, a, a little more power, especially home run power, than maybe uh, a lot of us expected. 12 home runs, 6 steals. So he was kind of an all-around contributor, except that he hit 225. So where does Ackley fit into this? And Is he ever going to get another shot for a full-time role? And uh, are you bullish at all on Nick Franklin uh, hopefully seeing a surge in batting average to make him uh, a decent late-round grab? You know, I, I think uh, they are kind of similar in, in Roto outcomes. I think they're both probably uh, like 260 hitters next year with some power and some speed. Uh, the, the thing that separates them is uh, I think Franklin has much more upside in terms of power uh, and probably has more power overall, so I like that. And then uh, Franklin had some issues with strikeout rates uh, in the past, and he did in his rookie season. But he always sort of whittled them down after he got another shot at the league. Um, so, and he made a big progress last year in AAA with the strikeout rate. So I feel like he'll whittle that uh, strikeout rate down. Um, I'll take the over on Steamer projected power and the over on Steamer BABIP and, um, and give him, you know, a, like a sort of 260 average, you know, 15 homers and 10 stolen bases. And I'd take a... You know, for Ackley, I'll take the under on power and stolen bases, probably. Yeah, Franklin's better ball distribution was actually pretty good. Yes, he was a fly ball hitter, but he hit a ton of line drives, didn't hit as many pop-ups as the league average. So you would expect a higher than a 290 BABIP. And I'm kind of surprised at Steamer's home run projection. It's exactly the same, but in 140 more at-bats, only 12. But still, yeah. a 12-10 season is still valuable. And it's funny because this looks exactly like what I expected from Ackley this year. Yeah, yeah. And I just – I think that um, we've got 1,500 plate appearances from Ackley in, a, in a, uh, a point – a 109 ISO. So we've just got so much more track record for him. And, you know, his average season is, is less than 10 homers and less than 10 stolen bases at this point. And um, – you know, I mean, he did have a nice second half, Ackley did, but a lot of it was Babbitt-driven. Yep. I mean, he came back and uh, he hit, what did he hit? He hit uh, 300 uh, in the second half, but he had a 358 Babbitt. And, 
not a ton change otherwise. He struck out a little bit less, walked a little bit more, but uh, I don't trust it. Well, what I like about Franklin is he maintained the strong walk rate, which is really nice to see from a rookie. But that strikeout rate was so much worse than any of us expected. And uh, it's good that he has shown better in the minors, giving him ample upside. He didn't post a swinging strike rate that was that much worse than the league average. So that certainly did not match up with a strikeout. I mean, his strikeout rate is like Adam Dunesque. It's it's really bad. I don't have the leaderboard in front of him, but I have to imagine it, it ranks in the top 10, top 15 worst strikeout rates in baseball. Coming from a you know a little middle infielder, you wouldn't expect that. So that's a surprise. Yeah, I, I, I you know I don't want to get too much into his head, but I feel like it's probably a case of uh, pressing to impress, uh, where you know it's his first time at the league, and you can see his first time at Triple A, he struck out 23 percent of the time. And his first time at Double A, he struck struck out almost twenty percent of the time. So he's he's you know he's gone up and down in that in that regard. And uh, I also like what Steamer has done and given him about a twenty two percent strikeout rate, which isn't great, but it isn't bad. And you can still have a two sixty, you know, batting average with a twenty two percent strikeout rate. You know, I could actually see kind of an upside of a Brian Dozier type season, but with a better batting average because he's got two sources of upside in the batting average with a higher BABIP and a better strikeout rate that could get him to 260. So kind of Brian Dozier, high mid to high teens home runs, low double digit steals, batting 260. I think that's certainly uh, worthy of mixed league consideration, and he's probably going to come pretty cheap. Yeah, uh, and you know he's Dozier has all those infield flies, which, which Franklin doesn't. Yeah. Oh, and then the other thing to note about Nick Franklin, his batted ball distance was 292 feet that is really good and much better than i think any of us would have ever guessed and 292 feet is right around joey Votto, jay bruce brian mccann mark reynolds alfonso soriano ryan howard i mean this is a power level so i would never have guessed that and so that kind of validates the fact that franklin was showing good power this year and you could expect at least a league average home upper fly ball rate yeah all right, how about somebody who is a bit of a disappointment, and that is Ben Zobrist, who has really been up and down throughout his career. I mean, he showed in good power, then it dropped, then it rebounded, then it's dropped again, and the speed dropped off. Basically, everything that you can look at in terms of the counting stats, the power and the speed, dropped off this year. And what is he? He is 32 right now. I don't know if we could expect that much of a rebound. Yeah. Yeah, and his his batted ball distance is uh, basically right around 200th in the league, next to Jeff Francoeur, B.J. Upton, Michael Bourne. You know, Curtis Granderson's there, but Curtis Granderson was hurt. So, Billy Butler. You know, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think even giving him a 20-homer season next year would be would be generous. So, um, and, and then the steals are just naturally going to fall off. Yeah, he was never, like, an elite base dealer anyway, so... Uh, Steamer looks okay. You know, I might take, um, no, I, I might take the under on plate appearances just because he's going to be 33 next year. Um, but uh, 16 homers, 11 stolen bases, 268 average. That's uh, that's about right. I, I, for what it's worth, I think that's going to be better than what Brandon Phillips does next year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do think that's fair with the Zobra's projection. Uh, I, I think maybe his multiple position eligibility can hurt him 
just because then he becomes more of a, oh, he could be a super utility guy for us, where his age also that you mentioned, I mean, that can hurt him because then he's not necessarily going to start every day. He's going to be a guy that can plug in anywhere later in the game if his offense continues to decline and they're going to start to think of him that way, and that's going to be a bad thing. Well, I mean, the nice thing about it, in the end, though, is that he started 21 games. Or, you know, he, he played 21 games and started 11 at shortstop. So I think that's probably a shortstop in most leagues. And um, and so, you know, it's almost irrelevant what we think of him among the second basemen. Yeah, this is true. I mean, he'll have multiple position eligibility. It's also good that he's swinging and missing less. He's striking out less. So it's not like what we see a lot of times with, players getting older, that the strikeout rate is rising, you're thinking, oh, losing bat speed, this is the beginning of the end. So that's a good sign. His walk rate did drop a bit, but since it coincided in the drop in strikeout rate, it, it means maybe he's just making contact earlier and and not having the opportunity to walk. So that's okay. So I think he'll rebound a bit again. I also like the steamer projection, and I feel like maybe he'll be undervalued because I don't, I don't think people really ever – completely bought into Zobris just because of his weird career path and the fact that he kind of came out of nowhere and he was never really young when he had his first really good season in 2009. And then there were probably a lot of people who bought in after the 297, 20, 27 homer, 17 stolen base year when uh, in 2010 he hit 238 with 10 homers and they probably got pretty upset about that. But, yeah, I uh, think I owned him that year, 2010. And people, people remember that for a long time. But, you know, if you look at his career... 270, you know, 15 to 20 homers, 10 to 20 stolen bases. He's done almost every year. Yeah, so, I mean, consistency in that range, but he's been kind of up and down. That It's like the Aaron Hill syndrome where people are just like, oh, or Alex Rios, where even though when you look deep inside the numbers, it's not as up and down as it really seems, people – perceive it as more of a roller coaster ride than it really is and they don't even want to take part because they feel like it's too risky. Yeah, and 270 is a really weird place to be in terms of batting average. I mean, you know, in the past uh the league batting average was 260, 260 plus and um and that and that made us think that 270 was a league average batting average, which in fantasy is bad. But uh the league the league average batting average last year was 250 or 251. Yeah, so. it drops every year. Yeah, so now we're talking about a guy who's 20 points above league average. He's probably about league average in fantasy in terms of batting average. And uh, people don't think of that necessarily. When they see a 270, they think that's going to hurt their batting average. Whereas the reality is he's not going to hurt or help you a ton in batting average, but he is going to give you a lot more homers plus stolen bases than your average middle infielder. All right, let's move along to Milwaukee where we have another second base controversy between Ricky Weeks and Scooter Jeanette. And the latest little news blurb on Scooter Jeanette's Fangraphs page says that the Brewers GM Doug Melvin, this was uh, at the beginning of October, said that Jeanette has an edge right now over Ricky Weeks for the starting second base job. I can't imagine that they really open the year with both of these guys on their active roster with Ricky Weeks. I mean, what are they going to do? He's not going to be a bench player or, or some utility guy. they they got to do something. Yeah, well, I mean, Atlanta and uh, Cincinnati are looking to trade their second baseman, but it's not like, you know, Milwaukee wants Dan Ugla or Brandon Phillips. They, they just want to go with the cheaper, younger guy. And, uh, you know, Weeks is... 
Weeks had a lot of swing and miss in his game when he was young, and now he's uh, over 31, so he's probably just going to, uh, you know, swing and miss more. Um, you know, it's nice that he has power and speed and patience, though, so I feel like some saber-savvy, you know, uh, team that needs some sort of rebound at the position um, could go for him. Yeah, I mean, I think like Kelly Johnson, I remember, was a buy low a couple of years. Well, he was swapped for Aaron Hill. I think it was two disappointments for each other. But I think Weeks does make a very good buy low because he was killed by a low BABIP. I mean, he's never really had high BABIPs in his career, but it was a career low. He still has that nice combination of power and speed. He's still patient at the plate, showing above average walk rates. So... I think that he still can show value, and he can probably be had pretty cheaply. What about Ricky Weeks to the J to the Rays for cheap? And what do they do with Ben Zobras then? You know, left field, shortstop, you know, all over the place. And this way, you could uh, let's see what. Uh, well, oh, he's a righty. Uh, Ricky Weeks splits recently against righties. It's probably bad, bad, and bad. Uh, last year he hit 201 against righties. I'm trying to get the advanced stuff up real quick. Um, he has been. This might be his death now, actually. If he's bad against righties, uh, let's see here. Against righties, he's been below league average the last two years. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have really pronounced lefty righty splits. He's just. Woba-wise, he just hasn't been that great against either of them just because he hasn't been great offensively recently. Oh, here's something interesting. Most of his walk rate comes from lefties. Uh, you know, since 2009, he hasn't... His best walk rate against righties was 9%. And uh, he's been mostly around league average. So that's interesting because he still has a decent power against righties, uh, but um, he walks a lot more against lefties. So... I mean, you know, if his value falls so far that he becomes a platoon player, then he absolutely becomes a raise, a raise player. And uh, the Jays, you know, the Jays could use a second baseman too. So I think the Rays and Jays would be kind of interested in Ricky Weeks. They, they like guys that walk a lot and have power and can use a guy in a platoon role. Um, and, you know, they actually have the upside. Uh, they actually have the positional space for him to become a second baseman again and, and to start or to at least get starters um, uh, minutes <laughs> as, uh, as to use a basketball term. But um, uh, I feel like he can get starting playing time next year, whether it be in Milwaukee or somewhere else. I'm still willing if Ricky Weeks does open next year with a starting job, I'm still willing to take a chance on him depending on the context of the rest of my team. And if I'm comfortable in batting average in an OBP league, I'm even more willing to take a chance on him because even this year, hitting 209, he still posted a 306 OBP, which for a second baseman probably was right around uh, the league average, maybe slightly below, but it was not as a negative as his batting average was. Uh-huh. But what about Scooter Jeanette? He, I think, performed much better than anybody could have imagined. 324, he actually hit six home runs, which was much more power than anybody could have imagined, I'm sure. But he only stole two bases, which surprised me. I thought he stole more bases than that. He showed better speed in the minors. He, he looks to be uh, a 10-steal guy, maybe maybe 15 steals. But do you think that he would be maybe a sleeper guy 
next year if he does open the season as the starting second baseman. You know, it's weird. I just I'm not sure that he's better than Ricky Weeks. Uh, you know, in in real life, so it's hard for me to just give him the job. But um, and he had that 380 batting average in balls and play is just is just unsustainable no matter what your 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 mix is. So he doesn't walk. Uh, with that swing strike rate, he could strike out better than he did last year. So he could make more contact. That that would you know offset some of the regression he'll see in batting average, but. You know, I don't really see a reason to love him much more than his steamer uh, projections, which are 270. If you project it out to a full season, six homers, you know, 10 stolen bases. That's that's not mixed league material at all. No, that's not. I mean, I guess you could say maybe the upside of 10-10-280, which is kind of close. That's pretty much what you expected from like a Daniel Murphy until he went out and stole over 20 bases this year. But Daniel Murphy coming into the season was basically replacement level, and I guess that's probably what you could expect from Scooter Jeanette, with not much upside from there. Yeah. All right, let's move along to little Jose Altuve. And the first question that I have for you is how many Altuves are you? You're like four Altuves because you're a freaking giant. (laughs) Uh, I don't think I could be uh, even 1.5. I mean, I'm 6'2", so... Okay, I'm, I'm going to type it in. I'm going to go to the site. <laughs> I mean, what's funny is that today I wake up and I see at how many Altuve's started following me on Twitter. So I think it was a nice thing for me to add that link into my article because it got me a new Twitter follower. <laughs> right, your length in feet, you're 6 feet, so that is... 6'2". Okay. So that is 74, oh no, 6.2 divided by 12, 1 divided by 6, 0.17, 6.17 feet you are. Yeah. You are 1.14 Altuves. Ah, I want to be more Altuves. I know, it's kind of hard to get to a high number of Altuves. You have to be like, <laughs> you have to be like 50 feet, then you'll be 9.2 Altuves. Yeah. So is there any upside left here? Uh, maybe in walk rate. Um, you know, he, he's had a pretty terrible walk rate the first two years. And there were a couple years in the minors where he got close to league average. So if he if he could even walk at like 7-8% of the time, that would add, you know, a couple more times on the bases and, and maybe a possible stolen base or two. But um, I, you know, we've seen... What we've seen, he showed more power in the minors, and he does have a power home park. But now that we're 1,500 plate appearances in, and he has an ISO under 100, I, I, I'm not waiting on much power. You know, speaking of the walks, I know that there's a relationship between walk and strikeout rate, and it makes sense because obviously, if you swing and miss frequently, you're going to strike out a lot. But that also means that you are extending the at bat because you're not putting the ball in play, and you're that you have a, more of an opportunity to take a walk. Because Jose Altuve makes such good contact, he's probably making contact and putting the ball in play early in the count, which means he doesn't have the opportunity to, to walk. And so, I mean, yeah, he's walked in at, at higher rates in the minors, but I don't know how much upside he has there just because he makes good contact. And I don't know the exact relationship. I think we've – haven't we tried to come up with some sort of an X walk percentage for hitters and it was too difficult or X strikeout rate or something? Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, we tried to uh, to involve it, but uh, it is difficult. Yeah, but I, I know there's some sort of a relationship there. And, uh, I mean, it would be nice if he walked more often, especially since he's a top-of-the-order type hitter because of his speed. But I, it just seems like he is what he is. I mean, he's going to be he's gonna hit 5 to 10 home runs. It doesn't. He's not really a speed burner. I mean, look at his SPD scores. They're they're like league average. They're not as high as you would expect from a guy who's stealing thirty to forty bases a year. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the lack of triples. I mean, triples is part of the four component speed score. So you you add in triples and doubles, triples, doubles, stolen bases, and maybe caught stealings or something. Yeah, and the lack of triples again suggests to me but, that he's not a speedster. Yeah, but, you know, triples are also power. Well, yeah, kind of. But, I mean, it's mostly doubles for fast guys. A, a triple is no different than a double. It's just you're faster. So and uh, 30, double. 30 doubles a year. I don't know. I Yes, I. you know, I'd be more worried if he was getting caught more often. I mean, a, a two-to-one ratio is, well, I guess that's just about – right at the break-even point. So if he got caught more next year, Steamer has him getting caught more next year. If he steals 33 out of 50 um, next year, he's going to be right at uh, the break-even point, and you know, his team might actually tell him to, uh, to slow down a little bit. Yeah, and it's pretty funny how he's ranked exactly, uh, I think I wrote 11th. I think it was 11th the last two seasons. Yeah, he, he ranked 11th this year, 11th last year in fantasy value, and you just look at his underlying metrics and you wonder where's the upside how does he get himself into the top 10 i think really the biggest thing is a better supporting cast i mean this is a guy who came to the plate 672 times and he only produced 116 runs plus rbis that's pretty pathetic yeah yeah that's that's 64 runs for a top of the line of guys terrible right i had a guy with yeah, that's that's a way that he's secretly stealing value. So I mean, I feel like yeah, the next year Steamer has him at 83 runs again, just because they can't be that bad again, and uh, that that will uh, you know 20 more runs will push him up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anybody that's coming up with the Astros. They have Springer, uh, Singleton. They have some prospects, but I, I think uh, I also think Grossman is going to be better next year, um, and I think he'll get more playing time. And I think they spent a lot of time this year playing uh, poor poor players just to see which ones would be in their future. Yeah, we we talked about the Astros outfield carousel. They they must yeah. have played like twenty outfielders this year, giving them all a hundred at bat spurts just to see what stuck, which I think was a, a cool, interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, I did I did like that idea. So I think. Um, I think they probably figured some stuff out, and it's probably going to be a little bit more stable with like Grossman and uh, and Springer at some point, and uh, they might do a signing or two. I mean, they're not going to be a lot better, but I think they'll be some better. Hey, you know what? Actually, before we go though, I wanted to uh, to breaking news, breaking news, breaking news alert. <laughs> we need the crash, tinkle, tinkle, breaking news. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, Chris Perez has been non-tendered. Who? Chris Perez has been not. He's been released. Wow. So uh, there is a a closing job open in the major leagues, and uh, my first bet is Cody Allen. You think over Vinny Pistano, huh? Well, you know, the thing is that Vinny Pistano's um, numbers really dropped off, and I'm 
calling his his card up now, right, just now to see uh, how old he is. Yeah, I mean, he was the heir apparent, but Cody Allen was fantastic this year. Yeah, he'll be 28 next year. It's just, and, and it wasn't, you know, Pisano wasn't bad, but there was, he had a he had a bad walk rate. I mean, his walk rate went from league average to worse, and uh, there were elbow issues, and you know, I think the health is an issue. So I think it, it'll it might be like if Pisano comes into spring and shows everyone he's healthy and you know the walk rate it, it works itself out then maybe he gets first crack at it but you know i'm not sure that that he'll have it all year long i mean the one thing about pistano is he's kind of a one-pitch pitcher yeah um fastball slider guy check out his career splits versus lefties 468 xfip we're seeing it right now by skills not roles the smart money cody allen yeah, so I think that that's a that's an early. People ask me all the time who's a close, who's a pitcher who might close next year, who might not be protected in dynasty or whatever. And you know, Cody Allen's the dude. All right, well that's a wrap, folks. So join us again next Tuesday for more fantasy fun on the sleeper and the bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.